two individuals commit a robbery and a murder. The one who does the stabbing and commits the murder gets a life sentence. The other individual, who it is said planned the whole thing and helped out, got a death sentence. It's time to take a long look at this and find out why there was two different punishments handed down. I'm your host, Bill Swafford, and this is Murderers in Ohio. I want to start off by saying that I'm going to make this into two parts. There's a lot to talk about. It has taken me longer than usual to put all of this together. I do want to keep the episodes for Murderers in Ohio around 30 minutes. I believe that this case is going to take a lot longer than that. Now, if you are listening and would like to eventually see and hear longer episodes for Murderers in Ohio, then you can find me on Twitter or email me to let me know. And you can find out how to contact me in the episode description. And if you like the episodes you hear, please like and share them with others. Then make sure that you hit the subscribe button if you already haven't done so. This will help out the podcast that is Murderers in Ohio. So please just bear with me. We will make it through this. This is episode part one. And there will be a follow-up episode that will be part two. So let's talk about what we all come here to the Buckeye State to listen to. This is a case of robbery, murder, and deception of a friend. This episode of Murderers in Ohio, I'm going to talk about a case that has received a lot of media attention. A lot of that media attention wasn't about the crime itself, but of the aftermath of the trial that has got a lot of attention over the punishments that was handed down to the two individuals that committed the crime. One person got a life sentence and the other was sentenced to death. Now there have been cases where multiple suspects have been involved and different sentences were handed down. Although most of those cases, the person who commits the actual murder gets the tougher sentence. While looking into this and getting things prepared, I wondered if a person's age should be taken into consideration in trial when a death sentence is on the line. This made me wonder what all would put the death sentence on the table in the state of Ohio. I did look into some of that and I will talk more about what qualifies for the death sentence later on. In this episode, I'm going to talk about several different towns and several different counties in Ohio. I believe out of all the episodes I've done so far, this case involves the most towns and counties out of all the episodes. I think it would be best that I start off with Waynesville, Ohio, which is in Warren County. Warren County is south of Montgomery County and is east of Butler County. Waynesville, Ohio is a small community near Caesars Creek State Park. Waynesville is actually too small to be a town. It's considered to be a village with only around 3,000 residents. Waynesville is known for its sauerkraut festival. After the events of January 28, 2014 and the trial that followed, Waynesville would be known for a robbery and a murder that will push people to look at Ohio's laws and punishment for those who commit murder and have a family fighting for stricter punishments for murderers in Ohio. Mark and Sandy Cates lived in Waynesville with their two kids, one of them we're not going to talk about. Sandy had an 18-year-old son whose name is Justin Beck. Mark was Justin's stepdad. They lived in a one-story ranch-style home with an attached garage. This is a very common style of home in Ohio. They're cheap to build, 
a lot of them have the same floor plan, which basically you walk through the front door or into a living room. There will be a kitchen off the living room with a back door in the kitchen. There's a hallway that leads to three bedrooms and a bathroom. In the kitchen, there's a small space for a laundry area and sometimes a partial bathroom. The Kate's home is on Corwin Road on the south part of Waynesville. The houses on Corwin Road are not all bunched together like most of them are. Each house on the road have a decent sized yards. Mark and Sandy had gotten married in 2010 and it appeared as though they had a good family life going on. On Tuesday afternoon, January 28th, 2014th, Mark had come from, from work around 3.30 p.m. Mark had noticed that the table had been moved in the kitchen and some rugs were missing. Mark did not call law enforcement at this time. Sometime after that, Sandy realized that a safe and a handgun were missing. Mark and Sandy must have added everything up that was missing and both finally realized that something was wrong. They called 911. Mark and Sandy also tried to call their 18-year-old son, Justin, back. They soon found out that Justin's phone was there at the house, which made them wonder where Justin was at. Law enforcement showed up at the home expecting to look into a call about a possible home burglary. They found out that Justin was also missing, and there didn't look to be any kind of forced entry into the home. Law enforcement started to investigate what happened at the Kate's home, and were looking for Justin. Sometime on the day of the 28th, law enforcement had talked to one of the neighbors. That neighbor had given the police officers a tip about a suspicious car that had been at the home earlier that day. That neighbor had given a description of the vehicle. Mark had recognized the description of the vehicle. Two individuals were at the house the day before to see Justin. Mark knew one of them because it was a friend of Justin's from the past. This friend was Austin Myers. Myers and the individual he was with was in that vehicle that matched the description that the neighbor gave to law enforcement. Law enforcement would start the search for that suspicious vehicle and the young man named Austin Myers. And they were also out looking for Justin back. Sometime after 12 a.m. on January 29th, Warren County Sheriff's Department would get a call from another law enforcement agency. This law enforcement agency had spotted this suspicious vehicle and they had detained Austin Myers at the home. Clayton Police Department spotted this suspicious vehicle at a home in Clayton, Ohio. Myers was also at this house. This wasn't Austin Myers' house. A young man by the name of Timothy Mosley lived at the house, and the suspicious vehicle belonged to Mosley. Clayton, Ohio is in Montgomery County, which is the next county north of Warren County. Clayton is on the north part of Dayton, Ohio. It's not a big community. I've been to Clayton before, and to be honest with you, I didn't even know that Clayton had their own police department. Clayton is about a 45-minute drive from Waynesville in Warren County. Clayton police officers detained Myers at the home while they contacted Warren County Sheriff's detectives. Warren County needed to question Myers. Austin Myers was taken to the Clayton Police Department. Warren County detectives took the 45-minute drive to Clayton. Around 2 a.m. in the morning, the detective 
walked into the holding cell at the Clayton Police Department to find Myers partially laying down trying to sleep. The detective first noticed that Myers was a skinny, white, 18-year-old with medium-length dark hair. Myers had on blue jeans, a white sweatshirt, and a black zip-up hoodie. Myers' young face looks as though it was too young to even grow facial hair. The detective asked Myers if Myers knew anything about the home in Waynesville and about the safe and handgun that was missing. And they also asked why Mosley's car had been spotted at the home by a witness. Myers told the detectives that he didn't know anything about a missing safe or a gun. The detective asked Myers if he knew anything about the disappearance of Justin back. Myers denied knowing anything about what might have happened to Justin. After the detective questioned Myers, Myers was taken back to Mosley's house. This is when law enforcement took Timothy Mosley, the owner of the suspicious vehicle, to the Clayton Police Department for questioning. Timothy Mosley was 19 years old. Mosley had a bigger build to his body than Myers. Mosley had short, dark hair. Mosley had on a black sweatshirt, gray sweatpants, a camouflage jacket, and a red winter hat. The detectives asked Mosley the same basic questions that they had asked Myers. Mosley denied knowing anything about a missing safe or gun. Mosley told the detectives that he didn't know where Justin Mack could be and that he only knew Justin because of Myers. The detective finished up his questioning and then Mosley was taken back to his house. I have to question how law enforcement handled these first interviews. My question is why wasn't the two men taken into questioning at the same time? They knew that they had to question Myers, but the suspicious vehicle didn't belong to Myers, it belonged to Timothy Mosley. So wouldn't there be a moment where one would say, hey, they both need to come to the department at the same time, but in different rooms? I say this because it gives time for one or the other to dispose of any evidence that they might have. Then after Mosley's interview, they were both back at the house together, so that gives them time to get their stories straight with each other. This could have given them a window of opportunity to try to run. Now I've watched and read a lot of stuff on this case. Everything I've read says that law enforcement had gone back to Mosley's house after the first interview and Myers and Mosley was then arrested and questioned again. And everything that I've read doesn't give a reason why that the detectives went back the second time. The reason why I bring this up is that I almost recorded this episode without even knowing why law enforcement had made the decision to go back and bring Myers and Mosley back to the police station. As I thought I was finally done with laying out the episodes on Myers and Mosley, I find a court appeal document on Myers' behalf, and there was something in that court document that I had honestly not seen anywhere else in any article or any video that I went through for this case. There was a third person at Timothy Mosley's house on the night of January 29th. In this court document, this person is only referred to by one name, Zinni. I think that's pronounced right, but it is spelled Z 
E-N-N-I-E. And I'm pretty sure that this guy's first name is Logan, and that's what I'm going to refer to him by. Law enforcement had taken Logan to the Clayton Police Department after they had dropped off Mosley. I have no kind of description or age on Logan. It is stated, though, that Logan was questioned by the detective. It doesn't say what Logan told the detective. Whatever Logan had told the detective led to the arrest of Myers and Mosley. The detective would question Myers and Mosley again. This time their story started to change. The interviews were recorded by video. The detective started with Myers first. Myers' story was that he was at Justin's house and he had been there at the house when things had gone bad. Myers said that he didn't do anything though. He blamed what happened on Mosley. I don't know if this is normal or not, but the two holding cells that Myers and Mosley were in were side by side. Apparently the walls or something were thin enough that Mosley had heard what Myers had told the detectives. So when the detectives had gone in and questioned Mosley again, Mosley was ready to tell the detective what really happened. The detectives had gone back in and confronted Myers with what Mosley had confessed to. Myers' story changed a little again, but Myers still denied knowing what Mosley had planned. The detectives sat and listened to two different versions of what happened at the Gates' home on the day and the day before January 28, 2014. I'm going to try to lay this all out as to how Mosley had confessed and testified to. Then after I talk about the chain of events to what happened, I will talk a little bit more about Myers' interview. The reason for this is that I believe that the courts and law enforcement believe Mosley's confession to how things had really gone down. Myers wasn't being completely honest about his part in what happened on January 28th. This all got started on January 27th, 2014, which was on a Monday. Mosley had said that Myers had overslept that Monday morning and had missed his very first day of a new job. I don't know how badly they needed money, but apparently they needed some money fast. Clayton is around Dayton and some other areas where Myers and Mosley could have gotten jobs. On that Monday morning, after missing his first day of work, Myers asked Mosley if he wanted to make some money. Mosley said that he did want to make some money. Mosley said that Myers talked about robbing a drug dealer, or possibly a bank. Then Myers talked about a friend of his. Myers' friend was Justin Back. Myers said that Justin's stepdad kept the safe at the house, and the safe was usually left open. Myers told Mosley that there had to be at least $20,000 in the safe. A home invasion would be easier than targeting a drug dealer or bank. All they had to do was go in, take the safe, and leave. Mosley and Myers got into the car and left Clayton. Mosley was driving, and Myers was given directions. Mosley said that he figured out that Myers had made up his mind about what they were going to do as they got closer to Waynesville. When they got to the Gates' house, they realized that Justin was there. Myers and Mosley decided not to go through with their plan. 
They did go up and knock on the door, and Justin let them inside the house. Justin Beck was an 18-year-old graduate from Waynesville High School. He was a decent-looking young man with a buzz-cut hair cut. Justin was looking to make his way into the United States Navy. Now here is a very interesting point. Justin and Myers had been friends in the 7th and 8th grade in middle school. Shortly after that, Justin's mom had made the two stop hanging around each other. Myers would eventually move away from Waynesville. It had been six years since Justin and Myers had seen each other, which brings up the question, what made Myers think that a safe would still be inside the house and be filled with $20,000? So Myers and Mosley had showed up at Justin's house around noon, and Justin, even though he hadn't seen Myers for years, had let them inside the house. Myers and Mosley stayed at the house for about 20 minutes, and then they had left. But they didn't leave Waynesville. Myers and Mosley went to the Waynesville Public Library. It was at this library that Myers and Mosley discussed how they could get the money. This is where Myers first brought up the ideal of killing Justin back. As I put this episode together, there's one thing I still don't have an answer to. Why did Myers and Mosley want this money so badly? There has to be a reason why they were so desperate for money that Myers would think about killing a childhood friend. Have not seen or heard anything about drugs being the reason for the need of money. I did consider that, though, because they did think about robbing a drug dealer. Most people who are desperate enough to rob somebody for money don't really consider robbing a drug dealer as their first option. Myers and Mosley's first plan on how to kill Justin was by a fatal injection. Myers had suggested that they could use cold medicine. They had gone to a store to buy what they needed. They got what they needed, and Myers even got some kind of poison called bug wash or something. And they even made it all the way up to cash register. But Myers' card was declined. They tried to get money from the store's ATM, but the card was declined again. After leaving the store without what they needed, Myers directed Mosley to a pharmacy. Myers went inside and asked the clerk for syringes. Myers waited a little bit in line, but eventually left without them. Once again, Myers and Mosley did not get what they need. Myers and Mosley had plenty enough time just to change their minds and go home, but they did not. They had gone back to Justin's house. Myers and Mosley sat down and watched a movie with Justin. After Mark, Justin's stepdad, had got home, Mark sat down and watched a movie with the three of them. It wasn't until Mark and Justin needed to go somewhere that Myers and Mosley left to Kate's home. Myers and Mosley went to a McDonald's in Waynesville. While at this McDonald's, the two tried to figure out what they could do. Mosley had suggested that they could go back to the house at that moment while Mark and Justin were gone. Myers didn't want to because who knew when Mark and Justin would return. Myers and Mosley left McDonald's and picked up a friend, Logan. The three of them drove past Justin's house. Then they picked up another friend named Cole and drove back to Mosley's house in Clayton. Once back at Mosley's house, Myers and Mosley went upstairs to Mosley's bedroom. Logan and Cole stayed downstairs watching television. 
Myers and Mosley continued thinking of how they could get the safe. Mosley had written down the ideals to their new plan in a little notebook. They planned to use a wire to choke Justin to death. They planned to take things of Justin, make it look like Justin took the safe and ran. Then they would dump Justin's body in a remote area. Myers had brought up the idea of killing Mark also. They could make it look as though Mark killed Justin and then took off. But Mosley didn't agree with him. That would be just too much work. Then Myers and Mosley left the house and went to Lowe's in Trotwood, Ohio. Logan and Cole stayed at Mosley's house. Trotwood is south of Clayton next to Dayton in Montgomery County. Myers and Mosley bought a three-foot length of steel cable and two metal cleats. Once those three items are assembled, it makes a choke wire. Myers and Mosley went back to the house and back upstairs to Mosley's bedroom. Logan and Cole are still downstairs. Myers and Mosley start to assemble the choke wire, but Logan walked into the room and there wasn't any time for Myers and Mosley to hide the stuff. Mosley has said that he doesn't remember what they had told Logan, but for some reason Logan had put the choke wire together for Myers and Mosley. With the choke wire assembled, Myers and Mosley plan to carry out their plan the following day. I will take a moment to explain a choke wire. A choke wire is a piece of wire with something attached to both ends. Once this is wrapped around something and you pull the handles on the ends in opposite directions, the wire tightens up. And I also want to know how well someone sleeps at night after planning to kill somebody, especially a friend. That would be a long night. The next morning, Tuesday, January 28th, Myers and Mosley had gone out to get more things for their plan. Mosley had suggested that they get ammonia and septic enzymes. They thought that it would get rid of any DNA evidence. Apparently, Mosley liked watching crime shows. They went to a store northeast of Dayton to buy the ammonia and septic tank cleaner. Then Mosley and Myers drove to Waynesville to Justin's house. I want to stop here for a second, because I'm going to ask, where are they getting the money for the ammonia and the septic tank cleaner and the steel wire? I mean, they're wanting to rob somebody for money. Mars' card was declined. So where did they get the money to purchase this stuff? It's just a question that popped up in my head while doing this. Mars wanted to be at Justin's house at a certain time. The two of them actually stopped at a store to walk around just to waste time. They even stopped somewhere to get gas in the car. Then they drove past Justin's house several different times and finally pulled into the driveway at 1 p.m. Myers knocked on the door and Justin let the two inside the house. They talked for a while and Justin was nice enough to ask Myers if Myers wanted something to drink. Myers said that he did and Justin and Myers went into the kitchen. And that's when Mosley followed them. Justin opened up the refrigerator door and leaned in to get Myers something to drink. As Justin was straightening back up, Mosley put the choke wire over Justin's head and tried to wrap the wire around Justin's neck. Myers stepped in front of Justin and held Justin while Mosley used the choke wire. Justin put up a fight and the three of them fell on the kitchen floor. 
Myers noticed that the choke wire wasn't around Justin's neck. The wire had got caught in Justin's chin. Justin was trying to talk to his attackers. Justin kept asking why. Why are you doing this to me? Myers told Justin it would be alright. It would all be over soon. Myers told Mosley that the wire was caught in Justin's chin. Mosley freaked out and pulled out his pocket knife and stabbed Justin. This is when Myers took a hold of the choke wire. Myers was sitting on the kitchen floor with his back up against the wall, and he made sure that the choke wire was around Justin's neck. Then Myers held Justin down with the choke wire. Justin was basically sitting in between Myers' legs, leaning back in Myers' lap. Mosley started to stab Justin as Myers held Justin down with the choke wire. Justin was stabbed 21 times. After Justin was dead, Myers and Mosley started to search the house for the safe. We have come to the end of part one, and there's still plenty more to talk about. In the next episode, we're going to talk about what Myers and Mosley done after they killed Justin back. And we will talk about the trial that followed and the new law that this all put together. The next time of Murderers in Ohio. This podcast and music was written and performed by William Swafford.